Hey everyone, I'm so excited to announce the newly relaunched Ringer.com this week. Uh, this is something that we've been working on for a long time. Really so proud to be launching with Vox Media on our new platform. I just check out the latest articles and videos and podcasts on the site because finally we have a chance to you know show you those things in the way that we've really always intended. And I'm just thrilled with how everything turned out. And special thanks to Miller Lite who've been with us since the beginning and have been just fantastic partners for us. We're thrilled to have them as the relaunch sponsor for the site. Miller Lite is the official beer of the Ringer. Okay, and now here's the big picture. Let's write it in. You know, we got Rob Pattinson. We can get this. And we did that so many times, like bank robberies, car crashes. Even though we had a lot more money, we still were like kind of acting like we had no money. I'm Sean Fennessy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and here's the big picture. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by the Safdie brothers, Joshua and Benny. They have a new movie called Good Time, probably one of the single best movies I've seen this year. They've also made a couple of other New York classics, Heaven Knows What and Lenny Cook for you basketball fans out there. But before I talk to the Safdies about their new Robert Pattinson starring Good Time, I'm going to be chatting with Kay Austin Collins, film writer for The Ringer, and just generally a thoughtful man who also happened to love Good Time. Cam, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Cam, you and I both love Good Time. Let's talk about why. In your piece, you called it a New York City instant classic. Why, why did it feel that way to you? It's funny you start there because it's that's the thing I've been trying to think more about. Um, and I think for me, part of it is just that it it's a movie that's clearly made by people who are familiar with the city, but and who have a sense of what like the monuments of the city are, but they're not they're not drawn so much to those places. They're, they're drawn to what it feels like to be on the streets of the city. Like I, the thing that I love that they do is the way that they film a lot of conversations happening on the streets in the midst of life going on all around the people that we're watching. Um, there's just like a sense of locality and just the people that they make movies about just feel very New York to me. I mean, I don't know if other people from other places feel like, you know, like heaven knows what could have been Portland, I guess, um, or something. But for me, it's just like, that is a city in New York that I I know that I don't see a lot of, in, in a lot of movies right now. It's like, it feels like Good Time feels to me like what Panic and Needle Park must have felt like for people in the 70s. Um, or even Dog Day Afternoon, you know, these, these movies that feel like they're just, they're, they're such, so rooted in the place, but maybe in, in ways that are hard to define. It's just like a feel. Yeah. You mentioned Dog Day Afternoon, which I think is a pretty, pretty good parallel for Good Time, obviously to also a story about brothers who are bank robbers who find themselves in, you know, trapped in this, uh, awkward and difficult situation. Uh, Good Time though, to me is way more sort of kaleidoscopic and, and yes. intense. And, you know, the colors of the movie are overwhelming and Robert Pattinson's performance is, is probably the closest to, you know, the Pacino uh, in terms of intensity. But t- tell me about like the way this movie looks and the way that it feels in that way. I'm glad you bring that up because it's something that I really harped on in my piece. It's just the way that uh, the cinematographer that they work with, Sean Price Williams, they've worked with them before. And this this is a guy who's kind of big in the New York indie scene in particular. And he's filmed a lot of those like smaller budget, but just very, um, when he's shooting, just very um, beautifully colorful and well-designed movies. And I think what he gives their movie is just this weird, he just bounces colors off of Robert Pattinson's face throughout the movie, particularly when things get really weird. But there's just this way in which you're looking at Robert Pattinson's face and you're just looking at colors. And you're just looking at the things that are going on all around him and you're sensing things about what he's feeling from the ways, you know, from the ways they use light, it's 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 like it's it's like not abandoning realism really, but it's it's still doing something that's weird and psychedelic and fraught and just 
um, you know, anxiety inducing for me. You just feel like there's a lot going on in there. <laughs> yeah. It's completely like a hands around your neck sort of movie too. in the pace yeah, right? and absolutely. It moves so quickly. And I absolutely. think, I think there's something, it's a little bit difficult to explain to people how hard it is to make a movie that has pace like that. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I was, jump out to you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was just warning a friend mentioned, uh, you know, going to see it on edibles and I was like, I just feel like <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous just, move. Yeah. I just, I don't know if this is that movie. I just, I feel like that would send me into a panic, even just like the performances of people like Jennifer Jason Lee, who sort of shows up to be frenetic to just make me anxious. Yes. Because the way she's yelling at her mom and because the situation she gets herself into with Robert Pattinson's character, which is just like not a good look at all for anybody. <laughs> um, just yeah, it's just all living, around. It's living nervous energy the whole movie, right? It's, it's just living. And what she's, what she's right, she's like so good at, um, mm-hmm. which is what's terrifying about it. Yeah, and it's it also just like for me this the sense that like the 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 imbalance between the brothers, like the frustration that I felt the entire time dealing with the one brother who's development disabled and finds himself in this situation and paying for it, like by going to Rikers. It's just like way like not what he you know not something that he chose to be a part of. Um, and then just figuring out how Connie, Robert Pattinson's character, is going to try to like get them both out of it. It's just like it's one of those movies where just like the character just keeps making increasingly frustrating <laughs> decisions. But in this case, Robert Pattinson's playing someone who's also very calculating. So I like trust that he sort of knows what he's doing, even as he's doing things that are just like, I really wish you wouldn't, you know, we start to lose faith in his ability to make good choices as the movie goes on, I think. But let's let's talk a little bit more about the Safties. You know, you mentioned Connie's brother, who's played by Benny Safdie, who's one of the directors in the movie and co-stars. Um, you know, Josh and Benny make very New York, very um, real, for lack of a better word, movies. They're, mm. they're sort of in a pursuit of a kind of authenticity, not just about the city, but about people. And, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, in Heaven Knows What, what the people look like and how they feel. Tell me a little bit more about their other movies and, you know, what kind of how you would describe them as filmmakers. First of all, like they they're very much part of a the broader New York scene for me. And I think one thing that's great about all of these people, um, and it includes, and not just New York, but like the, a, a certain generation of indie filmmaker that includes people like Joe Swamberg and um, Alex Ross Perry and other people who seem to all have come up at the same time and who are now moving, doing like good time sized projects. Um, they favor this like spontaneous, nervous, very New Yorky kind of movie where it's just like characters who, I feel like I'm watching energies rather than watching characters necessarily. Even, even, even as I like think about a movie, like heaven knows what it's like, it's based on the Ariel Holmes memoir and she's the star of the movie. And it's very autobiographical. But what I mainly like when I think about that movie, I just think about how nervous it makes me and how nervous she is. And that's the kind of movie that I associate with them. Even though like I have gone back and watched uh, some of their short films from like maybe 10 years ago, um, and the thing that they have in common is that, like, they're still pretty New York streets, New York people kinds of movies. But earlier, it seemed that they were doing more comedy. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're sort of like they're kind of taking the tools of comedy, I think, and kind of bending them in this very dark, <laughs> dark direction. Yeah, I, I think. But I, I think comedy is essential to what they do, actually. I think a lot of their protagonists remind me of people that I would see bolting out of bodegas in New York and I sort of would be trying to avoid somehow, you know, I'd be like, this person just doesn't really seem like they have their shit together at the moment. And so I don't really want to get in the way of them having to ask me for something, even if it's just directions, which, but you know, they, they also, I think they have a ton of empathy for these characters, for these people. And they are, I think in some ways identify when you hear the conversation that we had, you can see that they, 
and they are not lacking in energy as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, how do you how do you view the way that they view the people in their worlds? I love it. I feel like I mean I think something they really really gotten right in in good time and heaven knows what in particular is just like it feels like. I'm experiencing New York City through their characters. Like, it feels like they adapt their view of the world around these people to suit the people that the movie is about. You know, like if I, I think about Heaven Knows What in the way that um, Aaron Holmes' character makes out with her boyfriend on the street. And it's just like, suddenly the way they film it, that's so focused on these two people that you understand how these people have an intimacy even as they live in public. You know, like, it, it feels like, they allow these people to have private lives, private desires, even even as they're happening in the midst of everything else. I think it's very like sympathetic. And I also think that they, you know, I also think they favor characters who are hard to sympathize with often enough. Um, good time. Like I, and sympathetic is a, a complicated word for a movie like Good Time because I don't think they're going out of their way to like criticize the character of Connie. But I do think they're eager to understand how it is that he adapts and how it is that he survives and how he thinks I think they think a lot of just about like the nature of their characters. And I feel like that's something that comes off. Everything seems to be determined by just who is this person? There's also something very specific about the way they handle race in this movie that I wanted yeah. to talk to you about. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the there, there are a couple of black characters who have sort of vital roles and in, in the way that they're positioned. And, and also, obviously, Connie and his brother are two white guys who wear masks uh, that are meant to resemble African-American men. And so yeah. it seems like there is a, 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 a sort of teasing or prodding at something. And what, what did you make of that in the movie? You know, for me, it's about it's about because I take, the, for example, the masks like I think Connie chose those masks. Right. And I think that Connie knows what he's doing when he manipulates race. Like, I, I think he I think for me, the movie's really getting at this is someone who understands how these systems work. This is someone who understands what he needs to do to survive. Like if, if his mission is to break into a hospital and steal his brother from the prison wing of a hospital, then he's going to do what he has to do. And if, if that means like he's going to throw black people under the bus when it's available to him, he's absolutely, you know, like he, he's going to do that because he knows that he can, because he knows that he can get away with these things. Right. Pawns um, in the game. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, I think that's fascinating. Like I don't, I don't need the movie to go out of its way to say, and by the way, it's bad that he does that. Because I think it shows such an understanding of the way these things work systemically by being about a, mo- a character who who manipulates these things in such a clear way. And it was also very clear to me that that was intentional, um, which I know I, there's already been a little bit of discussion about. I'm curious to see how this plays out. And I know that some people are not satisfied with with um, their angle here. But I think it was smart, you know, like. I agree. I, it, seemed, it seemed very purposeful to me, and it seemed like they they had a point, which is that there is something scurrilous about this guy in the lead, and that he is willing to take advantage of anybody, and he knows the best people to take advantage of in many ways. Right. I mean, and he and he know, and, and but also the, he doesn't know, like like you know that the masks, for example, like they're still idiots, like they still <laughs> like <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> you know, which which I thought was really which I thought was really apt, and you know, it's like he he does know what the systems are, he knows how to play the game, but he's still like an idiot. Well, Cam, you're far from an idiot. Thank you so much for chatting with me about the Safties in good time. And uh, we'll hear from you soon. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be joined by Josh and Benny Safdie. They have a great new movie called Good Time Out. Guys, what's up? Hello. What's up, man? How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Cool to be here. 
it's very cool to have you here. Um, we were just talking about your movie Good Time and what it's like to have been making movies for 10 years, but now to be getting a lot of shine. <laughs> but first, tell me about what it's like now to get all this attention, having been working so hard in New York on films for a while. Yeah, like when we, we when, I, when I say we've been making movies for 10 years, we've been making feature films for 10 years before I basically left college, just before I could have finished, and I just started making... I just started shooting a feature. I basically like hustled a feature out of a company they paid for. They didn't even know what it was. And, you know, we were like very stubborn about things for a long time. So, you know, we were like, you know, never, never responding to any agents reaching out to us. Like movie stars, we were like, we had like deet on us. We we're like, no, leave us alone. Like, you know, we just want to, you know, incubate, incubate, incubate. So, but we've been making these movies and they would get attention, you know, bless the critics. Like they were always being, you know, very supportive of us and they, they saw what we were trying to do. Of course there were like, I don't read the reviews after my first movie because it was some guy told me he wanted to see me get hit by a train. So like. What? Yeah, there's, you know, people take shit personally. This was the pleasure being wrong. Yeah, I mean, that was, look, in defense of that guy, like, <laughs> that was an experiment of a movie, and I never even intended for anyone to see now it, you and all of a sudden. By a train? No. Yeah, I mean, our, I consider our first movie Daddy Long Legs, but, like, yeah, we've been working towards this thing and incubating, and then, you know, basically over the past uh, three or four, basically after Daddy Long Legs, we were. We we're really uh, aiming to make this Diamond District movie, uh, and it's been like this drive to make this movie. And then we'd make a detour and make Lenny Cook the documentary, or we'd make a detour and make you know this hybrid film with called Heaven Knows What. And then Heaven Knows What actually attracted Rob Pattinson, and he was just like, "Whatever you want to do, I'm game." So we're like, "All right, let's do this." So tell me about that. You said Rob Pattinson came to you guys after Heaven Knows What, which is also a really interesting and sort of experimental movie. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that he responded to it, but why did you decide to then write Good Time? What was it? Well, about he this story? he saw a still that was released for the movie, and the movie like we premiered it like you know these big high fluting festivals, and you know it got the attention, and and I'm very proud of that movie, and we made it like. You know, we basically just made it with nothing, well, uh, and we just kind of just did it because it was a very risky movie. It's a movie about a a, a girl uh, who I met trying to make the Diamond District movie, and uh, you know, it's her. I paid her to write about her life, and then we adapted her writings, and then she plays herself reenacting things that happened in her recent past. So it was like a you know, but he saw a still that was released on the internet and like reached out to us and said. You know, very much like in Good Time, his character gives this kind of very kind of metaphysical, you know, spiritual speech, like about his purpose and everything. His character is obsessed with his purpose. And he like wrote his first email to us was like, hey, we don't know each other, but I got your email and through a friend. And I just want to let you know, like I saw this still and I don't know what it is, but there's something it evokes some type of purpose that I feel like I have on this planet is to work with you guys. And this is off of a still. He didn't see the movie. He didn't see the trailer. He saw a still. And it's not even, you know, that wild of a still, but the nuance of it, he just felt it immediately. And then we met and then he saw the movie and then he saw our other movies. And, and he was like, listen, whatever you want to do, I'm game. Whatever you're doing next, I want to be part of, even if it's catering on your movie. And I was like, no. <laughs> but we were so dead set on this Diamond District film, which we're finally doing in, in, in the top of the year next year. Uh, and, and he wasn't right for the lead role. And but I didn't want to put him in a yeah. supporting part. So we wrote it for Rob. Like, we wrote this project. I was, like, really into, you know, American criminal and the prison ethos in America and, like, you know, the writings of Norman Mailer and, and the – TV show Cops. So I just was like, you know what? I have this major interest. My friend Buddy, who was in Heaven Knows What, was got out of prison recently, and I had all these journals that he kept. Uh, and I basically was like, you know what? Let me mine this stuff, and let's make a. Let's, I want to make a genre movie. I want to take all these things that we've learned over the past ten years about like 
what is real, what is fake, and 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 basically put it into a thriller because we know that we figure out a way to tell like an ordinary story in a thrilling way. Let's tell a thrilling movie in a genuinely thrilling way, and it's cool. We get to see people like literally sitting on the edge of their seats. Like last night, we did a screening, and people were like, "The seat wasn't deep enough." Like I, every they said they looked around, and there was like it was kind of a crazy screening last night. There was like a lot of crazy people that I've seen on television and stuff before and they're you know people probably have like big egos and stuff but everyone was just like a little kid literally I asked people like, they said the entire audience just shifted forward and watched the entire movie leaning forward so that was really cool to hear but it's it's strange because it's like yeah somebody said to us like oh you you make movies in a very old-fashioned way and it's like what do you mean by that and like well if you don't have the money to make a specific film you don't make it it's like yeah that's pretty Normal. That makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. If we were trying to make this Diamond District movie, but if we can't make it the way that we want to make it, we won't make it then. So we made other films in between, and we would just like Josh was saying, we would learn from each one. You know, we made the documentary Lenny Cook, and we learned about narrative. It's like you need to say certain things because this is a real life, and you can't leave things out. So you kind of really understand what's important, what the true essence of a story is, and then you apply that to fiction, and then we blend fiction and reality. And then again, we were going to make the Diamond District movie, and but it got pushed a little extra. So we're like, huh, we have five extra months. Like, we don't want to just sit around and wait, you know, because that's the last thing that we want to do. We always get kind of uncomfortable. But, I mean, in 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 defense of our decision, I no, actually no, no, don't I'm think not, we could. I'm not saying. I'm, I'm fully in support <laughs> I think, of our decision. I think if we went and made Uncut Gems, which <laughs> is this, like, just, wild, yeah. big, expensive world about bling culture and, and on 47th Street where it has NBA superstars and rappers and, like, it's a thriller also – you know, I we think that have. I think we wouldn't have done it well. I think good time. We learned so much, and I, you know, we figured out. We've been, yeah, we were. Yeah. We, it was it was a blessing that like we were forced by the world to kind of make these other films to to learn what we didn't know. You know, but we I but I learn. found like like recently people were like I'm constantly telling people like oh this isn't one of the best first films I've ever seen. I was like because <laughs> it's not our first film. <laughs> but so I I wanted to ask it's you about that right so because funny. the movie is I think in some ways a a, a leveling up. You've got For a movie sure. star and it seems like you've got more money you're working yeah. with. It's a bigger marketing budget and all that. But totally in keeping with the style and some of the themes of your other movies about some hapless characters. It's in New York. Um, it's about winners that don't win. Winners that don't win. That's yeah, a good way. That's to my it. way. I look at it. Um, you know. Also, it's about brothers. Yeah. You guys are brothers, Benny. You're in the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to know a little bit about that. About kind of your working dynamic on these movies and your decision to cast yourself in yeah. it and how all that came about. I mean, in working together, we 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 really just kind of vibe it out. We don't really we don't delineate specific things like, oh, you deal with the acting and I'll deal with the camera. I mean, on a technical level, I am dealing with the camera and he's literally booming when he's not acting. He runs the boom because that's like an overlooked job. Like people, that's a very intimate job on a set. That's usually the person who's closest to the action, you know, usually more closer than the camera. Uh, so it, it's it, that's interesting, I think, for the actors to, to all of a sudden look up and see one of the co-directors like, you know, booming, you know, mm-hmm. doing like kind of, you know, a thankless job. Uh, but do they have more respect for you because of that? I think so. Yeah. You know, I, but I also it also allows you to see parts of the performance that you wouldn't necessarily see on the camera. Mm. So I kind of can get a feel for that. And I'll Josh and I will talk. It's like, okay, well, how did it look? How did it feel? And we kind of put the two together. And then I guess yeah, the decision to cast myself. It was just like it just was it. It was organic in the sense that we were trying to look to cast somebody who was maybe to have had some developmental disability. There's some really great people, but there was something, it didn't feel right because the schedule we were going to work on, the speed at which we needed to work, 
and we had interviewed all these people and we kind of got a sense of how we would have to get the performance out of them and it didn't seem uh, fair. You know, we'd have to push them in ways that they didn't want to be pushed and it just didn't seem like it was like a moral thing, you know, like this isn't, we don't want to make that kind of movie, you know, we don't want to do that. So you mentioned so. your character is deve- developmentally disabled, yeah. at Robert Pattinson's brother. What was it like? To, were you nervous about taking that on? Or you, were you concerned about taking criticism for something like that? That did not even enter. Well, because it was a character that was that uh, my co-writer Ronald Bronstein, like him, Benny, were developing that character seven years ago, mm-hmm. and we, and we wrote it with that character that they developed this character named Jordan in mind, and we basically we we had this kind of obnoxious. You know, it's almost a pretension. Like, no, we're we're going to be real. We're going to get you know a very a real disabled person, and so that it'll they'll bring they'll bring the truth. And like, we have to cast a real disabled person because, every, you know, what's going on in the world this these days? Like, you want to know, like, oh, that's a disabled performer. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the more the deeper we got into the audition process, like Benny's saying, the more we found that, and we were looking at the schedule and like these insane action sequences, set pieces that like it actually would have been impossible. And also, just but, like, and Benny's like I've had the pleasure of watching Benny act since we were kids. Like he's always been a great actor. He's always been wowing me. And you know, I just you know we knew our financiers. There was a lot of like actors who wanted to play that role too, and they were sending tapes in. But a lot of people, you know, no offense to them, it's a difficult thing to do. We're playing the part and not being the part. And yeah. Benny has the ability. I mean, I believe like this this actor we've like revere and, and love like basically said to me, he, like, he came up to me he's like so normally when you play like how, how did you play that part and i'm like you tell me how to play that part but he's like it was insane and he said well normally when you when you do that you're you're looking at somebody so who did you study and i was like well i studied myself you know i looked into myself and that's where it came from and it's it's i really do believe that the feelings and emotions that nick feels are inside of me somewhere and i think that with any actor it's like you're pulling from what's inside this sounds like an interesting writing process. You mentioned that Ronald Bronstein, you got you guys worked on a character. Mm-hmm. How do you fit all those pieces together when you're when you're doing something like this? Well, I I think that from a writing standpoint, like we basically because like we we knew we were gonna pair Rob Pattinson with like certain first timers and you know other actors as well, but the, anyone who wasn't playing the version of themselves. So we like did these obsessive character um, biographies, like obsessive. Like with with Rob with Connie the character Rob plays, we literally it starts his back his biography starts when he's born and it ends with the minutes leading up to when he enters the movie in the opening scene and you know I think that what that did for us as um, writers is we knew what Connie was like we could pull from anything so we would just basically we had very few parameters of what was going to happen in the script we knew that we wanted it to be you know a one night type film mm-hmm. a, a, a thriller a crime drama and, and but we didn't know the details of how it was going to you know the rabbit hole so we would just like take it one scene at a time and almost write it stream of conscious and we'd be like Oh, okay, now he gets here. How would he get out of this scenario? Okay, and we just knew the guy, and we knew the landscape of America, and you know, at the time, so we were like, oh, he could do this, he could do that, and we were surprised that we'd be like, yeah, that actually is very plausible. And sometimes you'd be like, well, that's fucked up that this is very plausible. Yeah, the amusement park. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting also is, so Josh and Ronnie will write, and then jo- Ronnie and I would edit this, and so it was kind of then there was kind of a separation where 
now we're going through the same process with the editing and then Josh would come in and I, like, they would bounce off ideas with me and then we would bounce off ideas with Josh. Well, so this- the editing was crazy because they were editing in different places. So I'd go from working with Ronnie and then I'd run over to work with Benny and then I'd have to have this like string in my mind that's like, okay, this is well, what's happening with Ronnie. And, 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 and then it, they're communicating with each other. Well, it was just like, well, it was all a matter of like, there were like, the, like these three, like, uh, the, like the heads would always, always come together. But uh, in the editing, it was also just very clear. Like you had, okay, there's now another character that's involved, and that's pace. Mm-hmm. Pace became very important. Whereas it's like that's that was only evident, like really, while we were filming, you're not really thinking about it. But once you start actually seeing it constructed, you realize, okay, there's this there's this fourth dimension almost to the movie that really needs to kind of push forward because you need to move forward. It's like literally, it's like a shark. The moment it stops swimming, it dies. Yeah, you just, mentioned you mentioned Sean, your your director of photography. Yeah. All, the pace of the movie is incredible. The way that it looks is incredible. <laughs> it's very loud. You have this awesome soundtrack by One of Tricks Point Never. He's the best, yeah. Does all that stuff get conceived ahead of time and you think that you're going to have this propulsive machine that is moving at all times? We, 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 what's wild is when we wrote the script and we, we were sharing with our financiers and stuff, the script was like about 100 and 18 pages with margin cheating. Uh, <laughs> 130. Know, something like cheating. that. Yeah. You know, you need, there's, you know, optics are everything. Personally, so, just to be like, we're getting in under two hours here. Basically. Okay. But we knew it was a problem on our end. We're like, guys, we, don't we knew we yet. wanted this to be a 90 minute movie conceptually. We mm-hmm. wanted it to be a rocket. We wanted it to be a piece of pulp, something that seemed almost disposable. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that you can just consume. Oh, yeah, like I a can comic go to a movie book. and I can go to get something to eat before also. Right. You know, like I don't, we don't want to waste anyone's time. So like, and then like, and Connie, Connie's like all about like, you know, time. He needs to maximize his time in the movie. So that was a, con- a conceptual kind of driving force throughout everything through like when. And Dan one o- was attached. One of Tricks Point Never started, was, yeah. was attached right after Rob was attached. He was like someone we wanted to work with. And we were like, let's attach him right away. He was attached before even we had the money like lined up. So it was like. It was interesting that it was like Rob Pattinson and One of Tricks Point Never were like our two first, and Buddy Duress were the mm-hmm. first, basically, you know, the, the the only things that were really attached to the movie, and and Sean and Thirty Five Millimeter too. But you know, we it was this, there was this driving kind of overarching concept. Like the concept of the movie is that it's vertical, it's top down, like literally everything is in sync with one another. The you know the 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 music and the photography and the le- in length of scenes, it's all kind of working in conjunction with it with each other. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about a new movies podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's called The Rewatchables. You can imagine what this is about. It's about movies you can rewatch. So what happens on this podcast? Bill Simmons and a roundtable of people from the Ringer universe are talking about movies they can't seem to stop watching. If you're a sucker for cable movies that are on constant repeat, this is the show for you. This week we're breaking down what else? One of my favorites, A Few Good Men. Chris Ryan, Amanda Dobbins, and Bill are chatting about that. So subscribe and listen to The Rewatchables wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now back to my conversation with the Safdie brothers. Tell me about making a bigger movie in New York. Was it much harder to do this time? Well, what's weird is we we had more money. Uh, we had more a, permission, considerable, a lot more yeah. money than we've ever had before, and more permission. And to we even had shoot. more permission, and, and it's but it's like it's like you but look, like we wrote in like Adventureland into the movie, and like Ronald Bronstein from Long Island, he was just like, let's write it in. You know, we got mm-hmm. Rob Pattinson, we can get this, and we did that so many times, like bank robberies, car crashes, like we did that so many times that like we, even though we had a lot more money, we still were like kind of acting like we had no money in a weird way because. A, yes, we were trying to do a really aggressive schedule. The movie should have been an extra 10 days to shoot. How many days did you guys do? We had 36 days. Okay. But it was, I think it was less than that. It was 30. 32? Actually, it was like 37, actually. Uh, Oscar's breaking it down. It was 32, but it, but it technically was 37. 
because if you count no, how no, many it was hours, actually thirty seven days. Okay, yeah, but even, it was, <laughs> but it was spread out over like. But we, each our, day our was like sixteen, seventeen hours. Yes. And then you go to like. It was a lot, you know. Our D, our assistant director was like, "You're doing an action but sequence. It, like, it'll take you all day to do this quarter of a page." It's, it's, and it's like, hard. What are you talking about. You don't understand it's like there's, how we work. And there's a certain energy that that comes to just kind of sh- shooting on the street with. Without a permit, you know, and you kind of have to really go fast. And there's that that energy gets kind of built into the movie. Now we it's, we have full permission to use this this mall, for example, where they run through in the chase. It's like how do we capture that same feeling and that energy of theft and just the excitement? And but we, we didn't ask ourselves these no, questions. No, no, that's something we realize it now. It's like we get we're like really we have the full mall, and it's like okay, we got one take. We'll put one camera here, one camera here, and then we'll call it out, and we'll run in, and we'll just tail slate and all this stuff. But we don't have to steal the shot. It was just an instinct, you know. Like that's how we have. How would we capture it? Well, if we, we got were we rode it, you know? in New World Mall, which is a, a huge Asian mall in Flushing, Queens, and and we got it. Our locations manager is a G. He worked for the Coens. Like he's just amazing, Samson Jacobson. Uh, and and we we he's like, I got us to New World Mall. I'm not like I was like, does that mean we could shoot anywhere? He goes, I think so. And then we get there and we see the supermarket, which was open. And we said, we don't want them to close down the mall. We'll shoot, you know, separate, surreptitiously on the side. But, like, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of, of people shopping. And, then, and we were like, no, we want to film in here. And they're like, okay, sure. Just we have yeah. Rob and, and Benny running through there at full they, speed. They said, just don't hit anybody. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was so what we the were cops like, said to we, us. We just approached every location, like, even when we had permission, like we were stealing it in a weird yeah, way. That's right. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then so then, but, like, you have a cop saying, just don't hit anybody. It's like, okay, great. And then that, in turn helps the performance because it's like you're running full speed and you can't hit any dodging people you have yeah. to literally dodge yeah. through this crowd because if you hit somebody there will be a consequence yes. even though even though we had the permission there was this co- there was the cop there saying for the first take of course i barrel into somebody and he was an extra he knew he was gonna get hit and all this stuff but the cop stage, was like yeah. the cop was like what he's like what have i just done <laughs> well because our extras casting was yeah. like so involved too like our extras casting they didn't just like pick people out of pictures they would like interview people everyone got interviewed so like it was so particular and yeah. so it looked it just it's it, it blend right in with the pub with the public in that scenario so all of our extras like <laughs> Nobody knew if they were actually there to shop or if they were actually acting in the movie. And it was, you know, that was like the whole movie kind of in a way. Yeah, the blend of non-professional with professional is really interesting too. And you even have people who have sort of significant roles. You yeah. know, the, the woman who Robert Pattinson vis- visits her home later in the oh, movie, yeah. you know, she, Gladys. she's not. Gladys. She's, she's not amazing. A, but she wasn't a professional actor. No, no. Right? first time actor. She has, but she has the incredible, incredible ability to say anything and have it be real. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's unreal to see that in somebody where you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. Tell me about what movies you guys do. You watch movies before you start making a movie. It's weird. Like we don't. Of course, we watch a lot of movies. All that you know, we have always watched a lot of movies. We like started watching movies to try to find answers because our dad didn't want to sit down and have conversations with us about like serious shit. So he'd be like, "Watch this movie instead." But you Kramer know, we versus didn't. Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, you're gonna go back to your mother now. Yeah. A child I'm, of divorce. I get like, it. Yeah. He's like, he showed I'm Kramer's Dustin Kramer Hoffman, and your mother is Meryl yeah. Streep. Yeah. yeah. And then we had to go hang out with our mom for the first time in a long time, and we were just like, she's like, why are they being bitch. so mean? That's yeah. how you breed loyalty. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, hey, it's propaganda. Movies are pure, pure propaganda. No, but we we didn't taught us. We didn't really. Weirdly, we watched one movie actually watched it like with Rob and everything but we watched it not for its cinematic qualities we watched it almost because it's the executioner song it's a TV movie quality. That, that that which the book was a huge inspiration on but the like, mailer book yeah, yeah. The, the mailer book we were just like 
we weren't going to sit around and, and read a thousand page book together. You mm-hmm. know, we were the, we sat down and we watched the movie and and you know the but movie Tommy Lee Jones' Tommy Lee performance, Jones's performance is really is, interesting. Is, you know, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. But we didn't, you know, we talked about like the tradition of movies that we wanted to kind of make this in. Like, you know, we wanted to make a movie in the tradition of like you know a forty eight hours or or an after hours or anything hours anything <laughs> hours. Uh, you know, but but you know the Running Man. Like we want there were these ideas of movies, movies that we loved as kids, mm-hmm. but. It wasn't like one thing, like it's going to be like this meets that. I mean, when someone saw the movie for the first time, that's when the best. We we didn't. I don't know how to do that thing, but like when we when we when we showed it to someone for the first time, they're like, "It's like Rain Man meets Dog Day Afternoon," and I was like, "Awesome, yeah," (laughs) because it totally is. And what I love about Rain Man is just again, it's like you have the 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 Tom Cruise character. His intentions are so messed up for taking his brother, you know. And it's the same thing. And I was like, "Wow, you know that that's almost like." Here, just to a different extreme, but um, yeah, there's. You just also go to the ending of Rain Man. He's like, "Do you want to live with your brother?" He's like, "Yes." Do you want to stay here? Yes. And it's like there's that same kind of. That's true. You guys hadn't a, discussed that at no, all. No, no similarity. It's, it's I, so, I, I talked with Ronnie a little bit about Rain Man when we were writing, but and and actually, I did watch that movie when we were writing, and Ronnie was like, you know. <laughs> He's Ronnie's amazing, and he he was just like, I'm not gonna watch Rayman. Why are we gonna watch Rayman? And then he's like, I watched Rayman last night. So like, <laughs> but he, but you know, just because it is, it's a, it's it, it actually has aged really, really, really well. We look more to like like a show like Cops. Mm-hmm. We watch, you know, looking for the nuance there. We try to figure out a way to to bring something like that to a movie. Some great or, mirroring of the things you see in the movie yeah. and then the end well, of I mean, the movie. You know, it's totally, really, totally. Um, so let's just to wrap up. Tell me a little bit about Uncut Gems. This is a big movie. Uncut Gems is the movie we've been trying to make since 2010. It's almost uh, scary that now we're actually going to do and it. And it stars know? Jonah Hill as uh, a maniacal gambler uh, who's a, a basically, he's a jeweler in the Diamond District. Okay, I'm in. Like a Bukharian <laughs> Jew uh, who is like from the a disciple of Jacob the jeweler. Mm-hmm. And he mingles with, he's an obsessive gambler and that doesn't stop with, with bookies and sports. He's obsessed with NBA basketball. And he's and he, he doesn't stop, his gambling doesn't stop at the bookies. It, stop, it goes to his wife, his girlfriend, you know, his entire business. Everything he does is a gamble. But everything's falling and he, apart, and he, but he, he's, he's smuggled into the country. Well, he owes a bunch hole. of bookies like yeah. – like you know, a lot of money, and they're starting. It's starting to like come home to roost. Hi, I got to take and care of this. And yeah. he has this six hundred carat black opal that he smuggled into the country. It's going to fix all of his problems. Fix all the problems. The pro- The main problem is that he, a huge NBA superstar, comes in and he uh, lends it to him. Because the guy's like, I need to borrow this for one night, and that guy has an incredible game. So he thinks, he it's, thinks it's because so he won't give it back, and it's like, oh god. But it's you know, there's, there's a lot more that happens. It's, what, it what's interesting is it's, it's it has the thriller aspect, but it's also it's it's very funny. Yes, it's you know? a way, it's it, there's a, the element of comedy is much just, larger. Because the situations in it, but, are so insane that he, yeah. what he gets into. But. This movie is the most ringer our place movie of all time <laughs> awesome. based on the description. So, yeah. uh, Josh, Benny, thank you guys so thank much you for having us today. Appreciate congrats it. on good time. Thanks thank so you. Much.